So Jesus asks his disciples, chapter 16, he says, who do you all say that I am? And Peter comes up with the right answer, it seems. He says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. But then it becomes clear that Peter's thinking about a king who's going to reign victoriously through military power. And Jesus challenges Peter, saying that, yes, I am going to become king, but through a different way. And so Jesus starts to teach on themes from the prophet Isaiah, who said that the messianic king would suffer and die for the sins of his own people. And so Jesus, he was positioning himself as a messianic king who reigns by becoming a servant and who would lay down his life for Israel and the nations. Well, Peter and the disciples, they mostly just don't get it. So we're reading this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are some parts of Jesus' message and his work that we just don't like. Right? We don't agree with them. In fact, I know plenty of Christians who object to Jesus' teachings. They don't always realize it, but they do. Um, I, I know progressives who take issue with him saying that no one comes to the Father except through him. I know conservatives who take issue with him telling you to turn the other cheek. And that just about everyone gets mad when he says we have to love our enemies. Right? Now, I haven't experienced this personally, but there are pastors out there who have been literally fired from their churches for quoting Jesus. It's happened a lot recently in evangelical churches, which means it's happening in a lot of the more conservative churches when pastors point out some of the things that their church members say and believe that don't actually fit with the Gospels. And these are people who claim they're Christians, who claim they take the Bible seriously but they don't like hearing Jesus quoted to them. And now that's not you folks, and I'm not making a political point, believe it or not. I'm just doing that to show you that everyone across the political and religious spectrum of belief gets offended by Jesus. If you read the gospel and you aren't offended by some of the things he says and does, you aren't paying attention. We don't like the entirety of the gospel. We really want to pick and choose which parts of it we're going to live by. And in fact, we really want to tell Jesus what he's supposed to do, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly what Peter does in this passage. He takes him aside and he rebukes him, right? 
Imagine rebuking Jesus. Now, the thing is, Peter still thinks Jesus is going to be some sort of warrior king who's going to lead them in rebellion against the Romans. He's expecting that any day now, Jesus is going to start organizing his fighters and putting together his army and preparing to strike at the enemy. And he doesn't realize Jesus is already doing battle with the real enemy. And so when Jesus explains what the plan actually is, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to get himself arrested and he's going to get himself killed, and then something truly insane, he's going to come back from the dead three days later, Peter rebukes him. That's not how a Messiah is supposed to talk, Jesus. That's not what a Messiah is supposed to do, Jesus. And before we go any further, we need to pause for a minute and think about all the ways we do that in our own lives today. Now, it helps to imagine Jesus walking the earth in modern times. What would he do? And how would you respond? If Jesus was down on the border giving water and food and shelter to illegal immigrants, if he was comforting them and praying with them and playing with their children, some of us would tell him that's not what you're supposed to do, Jesus. If Jesus was teaching people who struggle with their sexuality that actually sexuality is not part of our identity, that we find our identity in God and God alone, and some people are called to marriage and some are called to celibacy, and in all cases we surrender those desires to God, some of us would tell him, that's not what you're supposed to say, Jesus. And if Jesus publicly rebuked the leader of your political party and called them to repent for their sins and pointed out all the ways in which they've lied to the public, in which their political platform was sinful and contrary to the gospel, and yes, that applies to both major presidential candidates going on right now, you'd all say, that's not what you're supposed to do, Jesus, because you're handing the victory to the other guy. And in all of those cases, Jesus would tell you, get behind me, Satan. See, it's helpful to imagine us in these stories, to try and envision them happening now in our lifetime so that we can understand where we fall short. Because we like to picture ourselves, you know, standing next to Jesus going, yeah, you tell him. We're on your side. But in reality, we're the ones he's rebuking and we're the ones who messed up and we're the ones Jesus is criticizing more often than not. And this all leads directly into the thing he's going to say next. If you want to follow me, you deny yourself. You take up your cross. And then you can follow me. Denying yourself means you abandon your right to self-determination. It means you abandon your right to control your life. You submit yourself to God's will, understanding that that's really all that matters. And if that seems harsh, bear in mind it's not being forced on anyone. We can choose not to walk this path. God won't stop us. But the unavoidable fact is if we want to follow Jesus, we give up the right to control our lives. If we want to follow Jesus, we must submit to his will. And when we do, we will find that things tend to be much better for us, even if better doesn't mean easier or more comfortable. But the fact is he's a lot wiser than we are. So we'll find that things are better for us, but we'll also find that he asks hard things of us. Following Jesus means you'll have to make choices that you don't want to make. It means you have to shift your allegiances because God comes first. You have to reorder your desires because you must desire God above all else. 
And if you want to follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross. You have to be willing to die. You have to value life in Christ more than life itself. You have to be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice in the name of God's love. And I think the hardest part of this for us is simply the fact that we in this room and watching online are very unlikely to ever be in a situation that would require us to die for our faith. But there are places in the world where that still happens. For us, it's, it's largely a matter of the heart. It's a question of do you value Christ more than the things of this world? Would you be willing to give up everything for him, trusting that it would be worth it? Would you choose God's ways over man's ways, even if that comes at great personal cost? After all, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world at the cost of your soul? And one takeaway from that that really matters in this day and age especially is that the ends never justify the means. See, we're often tempted to think that we can maybe do immoral things sometimes if it's for a good purpose. But it doesn't work like that. The means matter. The way you do things matter. The way you live matters. The way you treat people matters. Character matters. This is all part of it. This is part of taking up your cross. It's part of denying yourself. It's part of following Jesus. It's understanding that actually the outcomes of everything, God's got that. The, the end of the story is already written. God wins in the end. What matters is what we do and how we do it, not what the outcome is. The ends don't justify the means, ever, period. It doesn't matter <clears throat> what you accomplish if the way you accomplished it was sinful or evil. And that applies to individuals and to the collective whole. It means it applies to decisions you make with your job, your personal finances, your personal relationships. It applies to what we do as a church. It even applies to how you vote, which is important since it is an election. The ends never justify the means because God has the outcome under control. And it matters for Peter in this story because his whole idea is, I want to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth and make people holy by killing all those Romans. Jesus says, that's not how we're going to do it. You leave the outcome with me. What you have to worry about is how you live your life. See, it's easy to reduce all of these things just to like inner workings of the spirit and private religion, but that's very clearly not what Jesus is teaching. The gospel must be seen in us by the people around us. Otherwise, we're failing. If the people around you can't tell that you're a Christian just from the way that you treat them, the way you behave, the way you make decisions in everyday life, then you're failing. See, the cost of discipleship is high because the cost is everything. It is the total and complete submission of ourselves to Jesus. And don't think that won't be hard. But we know how the story ends. We know that death is not final. We know that just because we cannot see beyond the grave doesn't mean that the grave is the end. We can sacrifice everything because Jesus has shown us there's so much more to be gained. What do you do if you're caught in a riptide? You surrender to it, right? You let it carry you out into deeper water. You let it carry you down the shore until the current weakens and brings you back to safety. 
you might not end up where you want to be, but you're alive. But if you try to fight it, if you try to assert your will over the tide, you'll exhaust yourself and you'll drown. But that is exactly what your instinct is, isn't it? When the water starts pulling you out, your instinct is to fight it, to swim back to shore. It's completely counterintuitive to just let it carry you away. But the reality is once you're in that current, you have two choices. You can try to assert your will and you can die, or you can surrender to it and you can live. Folks, everyone is in the riptide, whether they know it or not. God is going to do what God is going to do, and there's no stopping it. There's no avoiding it. God is going to save all that he's made. He's going to bring all evil to justice. He's going to eradicate all sin. God is going to renew and recreate the world and resurrect his children to live within it. Nothing will stop that. We can either try to impose our own will on the world and die trying, or we can surrender ourselves to God and we can live forever. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't done. Right? Deny yourself? Yeah. Every day that he walked the earth, he denied himself. Just by being on earth with us, he denied himself. We know he took up his cross. He died for us. He sacrificed everything in order to bring God's salvation to the world. And knowing that, how can we possibly justify doing anything less if God asks it of us? The cost of discipleship is everything. Thanks be to God, the rewards are even greater. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.